Welcome to Reimagining Atlantis. My name's Tori, and I'll be your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. I'm glad that you're here again, time after time. Because of you, I'm watching my podcast grow, and it's amazing. I love seeing all the new visitors. Hello, new people. In this episode of our podcast, we dive into the historical and mythological events surrounding three devastating floods, the Thera eruption, the Ogean flood, and the flood of Deucalion. The Thera eruption is also known as the Minoan eruption and occurred on the island of Santorini around 1613 BCE and is considered one of the largest volcanic eruptions in recorded history. The eruption caused widespread destruction and may have contributed to the collapse of the Minoan civilization. And as we have already learned in past episodes that the term Minoan is applied to the people of Crete, even if it predates King Minos, to which the civilization is named. Next, we examine the Ogean Flood, a flood myth found around ancient Greek literature. The myth tells the story of a great flood that left Attica without a king for 189 years. We will compare the Greek Ogis with Ogi from the Semitic text. Finally, we explore the flood of Deucalion, which is also found in Greek mythology. The flood was sent by the gods as punishment for mankind's evil ways, and Deucalion, the son of Prometheus, was the only one who was warned and was able to survive by building a chest in which he and his wife Pyra floated to safety. The couple repopulated the earth after the flood by throwing stones over their shoulder, which turned into people. Eventually, they did go on to create humans in the traditional sense. Each of these floods had a profound impact on the society and cultures that experienced them, shaping the way they viewed the world and their place in it. My sources for this episode are Pausanias, he was a Greek traveler and geographer of the 2nd century CE. He is famous for his description of Greece, a lengthy work that describes ancient Greece from his first-hand observations. Description of Greece provides crucial information for making links between classical literature and modern archaeology. The rest of my sources are linked in my episode description. The Thera eruption, also known as the Minoan eruption, was a massive volcanic eruption that occurred on the island of Santorini, formerly known as Thera, in the Aegean Sea around 1645 BCE. Now, the reason why I'm giving different dates is because scholars themselves aren't quite sure as to the time. It's considered one of the largest volcanic eruptions in recorded history and has had a significant impact on the ancient world. The eruption caused the collapse of Santorini's island's central volcano, which created a massive caldera, which is actually a large depression formed by the collapse of a volcano. So it causes like a bowl-like effect. And since this was out in the middle of the Mediterranean, you could picture the water from the Mediterranean Sea filling in this bowl and the rippling effect that could happen. 
The collapse of the volcano released a huge amount of ash, pumice, and volcanic acids into the atmosphere, which caused widespread damage to the island and the surrounding region. The eruption also caused a massive tsunami that hit the coast of Crete and other nearby islands, causing further damage and loss of life. It is estimated that the Thera eruption caused the complete destruction of the Minoan civilization on Santorini and may have contributed to the decline of Minoan civilization on Crete. Despite the devastating impact of the Thera eruption, the exact magnitude of the eruption and its effects are still debated among scientists. Some estimates suggest that the eruption was equivalent to several tens of thousands of atomic bombs, while others suggest that it was less powerful. Regardless of the exact magnitude, it is clear that the Thera eruption was a major natural disaster and that had significant impact on the ancient world. It is believed that the Thera eruption had a significant impact on the climate and environment of the eastern Mediterranean region. The eruption released a massive amount of ash, pumice, and volcanic gases into the atmosphere, which can have a cooling effect on global temperatures. In fact, some scientists believe that the Thera eruption may have contributed to a period of cooling in the eastern Mediterranean region around the time of the eruption. The Thera eruption also caused widespread environmental damages on the island of Santorini and the surrounding region. The ash and pumice covered the surface of the island, making it difficult for plants to grow and affected the local ecosystem. The Thera eruption was a major critical event for the region, bringing with it death, destruction, and disaster. Despite the earthquakes, ash, and tsunamis that plagued the region, however, this is the first time that remains of victims were found. The area in which skeletons were found indicates to researchers that perhaps survivors were not able to rescue him on time. They align the data from tree rings found from ice cores in Antarctica and Greenland to create a comprehensive record of volcanic eruptions across the period of 1680 BCE to 1500 BCE, when Thera must have occurred. The team found a series of sulfur spikes in the ice, but unfortunately, no tephra traces. As a result, the exact Thera eruption date remains unconfirmed, but the team has narrowed it down to just a handful of possibilities. 1611 BCE, 1562 BCE to 1555 BCE, and 1538 BCE. There is evidence that the eruption caused severe disruptions to the economy and society of the Minoan civilization on Crete, which may have led to a period of economic instability and famine. The tsunami caused severe damage to the coastal towns and ports, which would have disrupted trade and commerce and led to food shortages. The ash and pumice that covered the island would have made it difficult to grow crops, which would have further contributed to the food shortages. I've looked over some simulations on the Thera eruption, and the resulting tsunami would have hit all of the coastal areas around Greece, Italy, the Levant, and Egypt. Overall, it's likely that the Thera eruption caused a period of famine in this region, as severe disruptions to the economy and society would have led to food shortages. However, it's important to note that the exact extent of the famine and its effects are still debated amongst scientists and historians. There are no record of any rainfall after the eruptions, so we can't use that as a reference. 
we can definitively say that the destruction took a day and a night of misfortune. But was it the reference we're looking for in our Atlantis search? It definitely holds a piece of the puzzle, but I'm not convinced that it's the main piece. I would think that a destruction this great would be mythicized in some coastal destructions around the Mediterranean. So was it the source of the Flood of Deucalion or the Flood of Oges? Was this attributed to the Exodus or Noah's Flood? The Flood of Oges is a mythological event that is often associated with the Thera eruption. According to legend, the Flood of Oges was a massive flood that destroyed much of Greece and was caused by the collapse of the island of Thera, also known as Santorini. The legend of the Flood of Oges is mentioned in several ancient Greek texts and is often used as a way to explain natural disasters and other catastrophic events in Greek mythology. However, there is no scientific evidence to support the idea that the Thera eruption caused the Flood of Oges. While the Thera eruption was a major natural disaster and had significant impact in the region, there is no evidence to suggest that it caused a flood on the scale described in the myth. The first worldwide flood in Greek mythology, the Ogean Deluge, occurred during his reign and it derives its name from him. Though some sources regard it as a local flood, such as an inundation of Lake Copaeus, which was a large lake once in the center of Boeotia. Other sources see it as the flood associated with Attica. The latter view was accepted by Africanus, who says that the great and first flood occurred in Attica when Pharaonis was king of Argos, as Asclepius relates. Oges had a kingdom in the region which we now call Athens, or Boeotia. At the time of Kekropa, the area was called Ogea after their king. I originally thought that the Thera eruption was the cause of the flood of Deucalion. We learned from a previous episode that the flood of Oges was so bad that it left Attica without a king for 189 years. This got my hamster wheels rolling, and I went down another rabbit hole. Now to take you on a little ride through my scattered thoughts and see if you can find what I'm missing. First I'm going to talk about the Midrash, and I want to explain what it is first. The Midrash is an interpretive act seeking answers to religious questions, both practical and theological, by plumbing the meaning to the words of the Torah. The Torah is the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Mechalta on Exodus, the Sephara on Leviticus, and the Sephri on Numbers and Deuteronomy are three works that collect the Midrash Halacha from the two centuries that followed the destruction of Solomon's temple. The scholars of the Midrash went through editing until about 200 CE. The Jewish Midrash scriptures mention a character by the name of Og, or Og, the only person to survive the Great Flood except Noah and his family. Og leapt onto the ark and clung on fast when the downpour started. If Noah would let him into the ark, he made a solemn vow to serve Noah and his family without ceasing. According to the Talmud, the flood's rainwaters were extremely hot, and this kind of reminds me of volcanic acidic rain. Og, or Oji, 
was able to survive because the rain that fell on him as he clutched onto the ark was remarkably cool. Maybe Noah recognized some kind of merit in Og or Og. After all, his grandfather was one of the angel that repented. As a result, Noah showed Og or Og pity and created a particular space for him in the ark. The Bohemoth managed to survive the flood in this way. A further version of the story claims that Og or Og escaped to Israel, the only place on earth that was not inundated, in order to survive. Og or Og fulfilled his commandment to serve Noah and his lineage. He served Abraham, according to the Zohar, and was circumcised as a member of his household. According to Rashi, Og or Og told Abraham that his nephew Lot had been abducted and that Amraphel and his allied soldiers were terrorizing the area. According to Rashi, who cites the Midrash, Og or Og wished Abraham would fight and die so that he may wed the lovely Sarah. Og or Og received prosperity and longevity in exchange for giving Abraham the information. But due to his immoral motivations, he was doomed to perish at the hands of Abraham's offspring. Whatever the reason, the giant Og or Og quickly became immortal. The Zohar goes on to say that although he had initially accepted the covenant via the circumcision, he eventually violated it through his sexual immoral behavior. He ruled over 60 sizable fortified cities with his physical might. He collected his soldiers to confront Israel when it marched through his realm. Og or Og, king of Bashan, is claimed to have been Moses' greatest fear for a number of reasons. Moses believed Og or Og had much virtue because he had lived for ages and had undergone circumcision. God comforted Moses and granted him power to kill Og or Og on his own. According to a well-known legend, Moses jumped 10 cubits into the air with a massive 10 cubit or approximately 20 foot weapon. Yet he only managed to strike Og or Og's ankle. However, Og or Og stumbled and he was pierced by a mountain peak as a result. Og or Og is referred to as the last of the Raphaim in Deuteronomy and later the books of Numbers and Joshua. The Hebrew word for giants is Raphaim. According to Deuteronomy, his iron bedstead, which other translations render as sarcophagus, is nine cubits in length and four cubits in width which would translate to roughly 13.5 by 6 feet or 4.1 by 1.8 meters. There is a non-canonical book called The Book of Giants that was omitted later from our modern Bible. In the book, it makes reference to Ogias, O-G-I-A-S, the giant who fought a great dragon, and it is believed to be their O-G or Og himself or his father. Another important point to remember is that Noah's boat landed on Mount Ararat in Turkey, near the Black Sea. Most people live near a major source of water, usually by the coast of the ocean or a sea. So if there were a tsunami by the Thera eruption, most people would see this as a worldwide flood. This was my thought about the eruption of Thera. 
The resulting tsunami would have hit just about every coast in the Mediterranean, which is why I think there is importance somehow to these myths. However, while looking into tsunamis, I found some good and important information. Using calibrated radiocarbon ages from other tsunami debris, the scientists were able to estimate that the skeletons that were found on Crete, having come from sometime around 1612 BCE, Quote, we proceeded to study the deposit, which for many years frustrated and confused us until it became clear that an error was thinking that only a small part of the deposit was tsunami-related, and in fact the tsunami deposit was much larger than we could have imagined. Once we understood this, the entire excavation area fit together logically, and the discovery of the human skeleton was like receiving confirmation from the ancients, according to scientist Cheroff. When I went down the Black Sea overflow hypothesis, which eventually led me to Lake Copaeus. Now, there isn't much information on Lake Copaeus, but once I started learning about it, I felt like I was getting closer to being on the trail of the flood that destroyed Athens after the Atlantean-Athenian War. In Oji's reign, the waters of Lake Copaeus rose above its banks and inundated the whole valley of Boeotia. Lake Copaeus was a large natural lake in Boeotia, Greece, located in the center of the region. It was one of the largest lakes in ancient Greece, and it was known for its abundant fish, including eels and carp. The lake was also surrounded by a fertile agricultural land, and it was an important economic resource in the surrounding region. Fun little fact to note is that there was once a small island in the middle of Lake Copaeus. The lake was fed by several rivers, including the Cephasus, which flowed through the city of Thebes. And this is the Greek Thebes, not the Egyptian Thebes. In ancient times, the lake was also connected to the sea by a canal, which allowed ships to pass through and trade with the surrounding areas. In the 19th century, the lake began to dry up as a result of human intervention, including the construction of drainage channels and the diversion of water for irrigation. Today, the lake is largely dry, with only a small lake remaining in the center. The remains of the lake are protected as wetland and are home to a variety of plant and animal species. Here's Posthenesis. According to the Boeotians, there were once other inhabited towns near this lake, Athens and Ulysses, but there occurred a flood one winter, which destroyed them. The fish of the Capphysian Lake are in general no different from those of other lakes, but the eels are of great size and very pleasant to the palate. Now it is possible that Lake Copaeus may have overflowed in the past, as it was a large natural lake that was fed by several rivers. However, there's no specific information available about the lake overflowing. In general, lakes can overflow if the amount of water flowing into the lake is greater than the capacity for the lake to hold water. This can happen due to heavy rainfall or the melting of snow, which cause the level of the lake to rise. If the water level rises above the natural boundaries of the lake, such as a dam or embankment, the water can flow out of the lake and cause flooding in the surrounding area. It is also worth noting that the lake has undergone significant changes over the centuries, including the construction of drainage channels and diversion of the water for irrigation. These changes have affected the lake's ability to overflow. In a previous episode, I went into painful detail about Lake Tritonis and the River Triton in Libya. There was also two other rivers that held the name Triton, one located in Crete 
and it is the modern-day Geophyros River. The other was located in Boeotia, near modern-day Athens. Now, amongst my searching, I found a Wikipedia page that states the following. The Triton River in Boeotia, Greece, ran into Lake Copaeus, and the towns of Athens and Ulysses were located on the river and were both destroyed in an inundation. A temple to Athena was located on the river in the town of Alcomene. And here's Strabo with a bit more information. The ancient writers mentioned that of Ulysses and of Athens on the Triton. These cities are said to have been founded by Cecropa when he ruled over Boeotia, then called Ogea, but that they were afterwards destroyed by inundations. It is said that there was a fissure in the earth near Orchomenus that emitted the river Melius, which flowed through the territory of Haliartus, and forms there a marsh where the reed grows, of which the musical pipe is made. But this river has entirely disappeared, being carried off by the subterraneous channels of the chasm, or absorbed by lakes and marshes about Haliartus, whence the poet calls Haliartus grassy. As a reminder, Plato says the following, The fact is that a single night of excessive rain washed away the earth and lay bare the rock. At the same time, there were earthquakes, and then occurred the extraordinary inundation, which was the third before the great destruction of Deucalion. To me, this sounds like a lake overflowing from excessive rain, and potentially a dam breaking. This of course is purely speculation on my part, but I am insanely curious. What do you think? Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your support means everything to me. If you want to help make this podcast grow, please subscribe and tell just one other person about this podcast today. We are each our own hero in this story we call life. That means one person has the power to change everything. Who is the one person you tell today, hero? Let's help keep Atlantis alive, or at least reimagined. A new episode will be released every Thursday at 9 p.m. See you then. Wait, are you still here? Thank you. It's appreciated. Here's a clip for next week's episode. Many of the other unnamed matriarchs from Genesis are also identified in the Book of Jubilees, including her daughters-in-law, Sedequitelbob, Shem's wife, Naeltimuk, Ham's wife, and Adatanis, Jepheth's wife. Those husbands gave their names to towns. So Noah's boat landed on the mountains of Ararat, and then the earth was divided amongst his sons. Sounds a little familiar, right? Ham got Africa in the hot areas as Ham's Hebrew name is Klom, or let's try it a little bit more Hebrew, Klom, which means hot. Shem got Egypt and the area to the east of the Red Sea and up through Turkey. Japheth got the rest of Europe, including Spain. My guess would be that he also got the area that consisted of Northwest Africa as well. And by the end of this segment, hopefully you should agree too.